four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a proportion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work, which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Please rise and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. A little bit. I pledge allegiance to the flag of, of the United States, States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Well done. Oh, thank you, Abe Lincoln and George Washington. We appreciate our former presidents, and thank you for reciting the flag pledge even though you forgot how to say it. But that's okay, our children led us well, and that's what we want to talk about today, how to lead well. In fact, there's a, a person in the Bible by the name of Joseph who gives such great leadership principles as well as how to lead well when you have all reason not to lead well. We will all come into a place in life that we have reason to not lead well. We, we have things that happen to us. We have hurts. We have pain. Uh, we go through betrayal. We go through uh, insecurities, misunderstandings. We also go through a phase of a lack of faith. We go through a phase of not trusting God. We go through seasons where we don't even see God doing anything. So we'll go through those things. But Joseph, the life of Joseph, teaches us that God's sovereignty and everything that God does is always done with a purpose. The question is, am I willing to lead well in the purpose of God? In how God is calling me and what he's doing in my life and in your life, are we willing to say, whatever it is that is going on in my life, I trust you that you're going to do something with my leadership. Because every single person 
has some type of influence. You have some type of influence. In fact, when you're growing up, if you had siblings, you influenced them, didn't you? If you're the older one, you absolutely influenced the younger ones. Now, sometimes we influence for good, and sometimes we influence for bad. For instance, my older brother, he would taste something, and when he tasted it, if it was horrible, he never told me. And he would say, hey, Sheldon, taste this. And then I'll taste it, and, and you know, you'd throw up or, you know, it'd be bad. But he did that and laughed because he could. He was my older brother, and I trusted him. That kind of influence, God is saying, don't use it for that. He's saying, use whatever influence you have for good. That's what happened in the life of Joseph. It's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. So if you have your Bibles there, you can turn there. You can take out your notes also. They're in your bulletin. It'll help you to follow along. Or you can open your church app because our notes will be in there too. But the story of Joseph is such a wonderful story because in this series that we're going through, Forward Together, we're going to find that Joseph, not only was he able to go forward together with God, but he was also able to go forward in who God was making him to be in the position that God gave to him. But we're going to find that God is not about a position. God positions us, but it's never about the actual position. And Joseph learned that even at an early age. See, the effectiveness of a leader is never dependent on their position. The effectiveness of a leader is always dependent on their lifestyle. It was Nancy Reagan, who the uh, wife of President Ronald Reagan, former President Ronald Reagan, who said that the strength of America is not dependent on what happens in the White House. The strength of America is dependent on what happens in your house. And that is so true that God will give us some type of influence. Yes, it may be in the marketplace. It may be out there in the world, in our community. But really, he gives us the greatest amount of influence in our very own home. And that's where it's going to count. It's going to count in our house. Now, we'll still be influencers out there in the community or wherever we may go. But he says the greatest influence that you're going to have is going to begin in your house. This weekend, we celebrate President's Day, which President's Day started off with Washington's birthday, and now it's for all presidents. But we know that throughout history, you're always going to have a president that comes into office that people will applaud and people will boo. And that happens throughout history. In your home, people will applaud you and people will boo you. It's going to happen. Any type of leadership position comes with the applause of man as well as the boos of man. So, well, not boos as in, well, you, know, you understand. Some of you did understand. <laughs> Allah. <laughs> but you're going to have that even in your very own home. So your influence should never be dependent on if people applaud you or boo you. Our leadership and how we lead should always be dependent on who God is making us to be. That's where true leadership comes from. And God is the greatest leader of them all. And even still, people applaud him and people boo him. You're still going to have that, regardless of what kind of leader you are. So never focus on the applause of man or the applaud of man. Focus on pleasing God because that's where our influence is going to come from. 
So let's jump in. Genesis chapter 37. And I'm going to read this in what is happening in the life of Joseph. Now, he's a young man right now. And so he's learning some things. He's, he's kind of learning the, learning the ropes about leadership. So in verse 37, verse 1, and I'm reading out of the New International Version, uh, the Bible. Jacob lived in the land of his father, uh, where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family, li uh, family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his, with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, when the Bible says his father's wives, just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it okay. Continue. Now, Israel, who is Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So in other words, Joseph is the baby of the family. You know the baby of the family? They're the ones that people will coddle, they'll take care of, they'll, you know, you might be, in the, you might be the baby in the family. And you're thinking, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. I can be the favorite. That's no problem. And you might be thinking, no, I'm not the baby, but I am the favorite. It's not even what the Bible is talking about. So you can discuss that with your family members. Joseph is the baby of the family. He's the one that's saying, hey, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like favored. So he's receiving that and he's living that out. So Joseph has a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He says to them, listen, listen, I had a dream. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Yeah, how you like that dream? Huh, brothers, how's that dream? Your sheaves bowed down to mine. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more. It's like how much more can you hate your brothers, right? They're saying now he hated them. He hated, they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers again. He says, listen, listen. This, this time I, have, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So he has 11 brothers, and he has a father and a mother. So now, when he tells his father this dream, as well as his brothers, his father, Jacob, rebukes him and says, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to, you, to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. It's almost like the dad saying, wait a minute, if he, if he becomes powerful... And we bow down to him. That must mean he's in a great position. So as parents, there's hope. He's saying, well, maybe, maybe this will come to pass. So he kind of kept that in his mind. Now Joseph was with his brothers. And his brothers had gone out to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, Joseph replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, 
a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? In other words, here's this teenager in the middle of this, this forest area, this, this uh, uh, fields, and he's lost. No, his cell phone broken, so he don't have GPS. He's like, oh, I don't know where to go. So he's, he's kind of wandering around. And so he says, oh, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him from the distance. And before Joseph reached them, they plotted to kill him. That's how much they hated him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to one another. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Reuben, of course, was his uh, brother, but was his actual brother. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his clothes, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was an empty, uh, like an empty room where they would store water, but it was empty and there was no water in it. And it's underground. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and then cover it up? And what if we do that and, and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Kind of like saying, hey, guys, what we're doing is bad. Let's not do, let's not do that. That's bad. Let's do something less bad. So, so it's not as bad. So, but that's what they're thinking. And they all agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. So it's almost like Joseph is being taken out. And I can't, have, I can't imagine what Joseph was thinking. Maybe he's thinking, yay, I'm going to be rescued. And now he gets sold to the Ishmaelites. Then Jacob, oh, then he recognized, where am I? Verse 28, 29. When Reuben... When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And Jacob recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then jo uh, Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. So his father, he was broken. This is his, well, favorite. This is his son. This is the baby of the family. And now he's broken. And, and now Jacob is saying, you know what? Let me just go to the grave. Because my son is gone. So I, I'm, I'm done. And no longer wanting to have joy. 
Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So here's Joseph beginning off in his younger years, having this dream and figuring out, well, someday I'm going to rise to this position and my brothers, my family is going to bow down to me. Well, it doesn't seem like it's happening right now. Joseph is caught up in this, this whirlwind of jealousy from his brothers, and now he's a slave in a man's house by the name of Potiphar. While in that house, Joseph is serving, and Potiphar's wife starts to, like, check him out. It's like, oh, how's this young man? Text him, how's it, brother? So now they have this connection. They have this, this she's attracted to him. But Joseph... Because he's trying to do his very best to serve Potiphar and he has a heart that is saying, God, I'm following you, Joseph pays no attention to her. Well, she comes on to him and she's trying to make some moves and, you know, she says, hey, come sleep with me, come be with me. Like this soap opera starts to begin and she's saying, Joseph, come, let's, let's go to sleep together. And Joseph is saying, hey, hey ho, 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 hang on. First of all, um, my, my master, your husband, has given me everything. He's given me access to everything, and he has only withheld you from me. So, no, I'm not going to do that because that's not who I am. That's not my character. So, sorry. So, he leaves. Well, she's still kind of, you know, um, wanting to be with him. So, one day she attacks him and throws herself, on, throws herself to him. She says, Joseph, take me now. Dun, dun, dun. It's like the soap opera thing. And so... Joseph, Joseph, he's like, no, I don't want to. So he tries to run from her. She tears his clothes. Shh, I'm going to take you now. And he says, no. So he, he gets away from her. And then because she feels like, wow, he didn't even, he didn't even want me, She's, she calls in the other servants, the guards, and says, hey, Joseph was trying to have his way with me. So, uh, and and I, I fended him off. And look, here's his clothing. So Potiphar hears about this. And he's thinking, what in the world? I've given you access to everything. And how dare you do this to my wife? So now Potiphar throws him in prison. So Joseph goes from having this unbelievable dream to being beaten and betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and then taken out of the pit, thrown into slavery, and now being accused of something he did not do. Now he's in prison. While he's in prison... Here is a baker and a cupbearer who is also in prison because they did some things to Pharaoh, the king, to upset him. So they're in prison. They have this dream. And they're kind of freaked out by this dream. And so they say to Joseph, you know, we had this dream. And, and Joseph, being an interpreter of dreams, says, oh, let me just tell me your dreams and, and why is it bothering you? So the cupbearer and the baker share their dreams with Joseph. And Joseph says, ooh, you, you want to hear the, 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 the interpretation? And they said, yeah, yeah, what's the interpretation? And Joseph says, hey, hey, so for you, cupbearer, you are going to be restored back to your position. You will once again serve the king. Yay! So the baker is thinking, oh, right on. Hey, what's my dream? Oh, you, ooh, you're going to be impaled on a pole and die. <laughs> and the baker, oh, junk your interpretation. I don't like that. But that, uh, that happens. But Joseph says to the cupbearer, you know, when you go back to your position, Remember me. Don't forget about me. So, of course, the cupbearer gets restored to his position and totally forgets about Joseph. So Joseph's soap opera continues on, and the guy doesn't even remember him. So now Pharaoh, the king, has some dreams. 
Now Pharaoh is freaked out. He's saying, what, what kind of dream is this? So he's trying to find someone who can interpret the dreams, but there's no one in the land that can interpret the dreams. So Pharaoh is saying, somebody has to interpret this dream or people are going to die. So the cupbearer goes, oh, now I remember Joseph. Now I remember him. Okay, there's this guy that I met, and he can interpret dreams. He interpreted my dream. He said, really interpreted your dream? What was your dream? Oh, my dream was uh, this, this, and this. And, he, and Joseph said, I'm going to be restored back to my position. Yeah, that's not really? Okay. But also, he said to the baker that this is going to happen to you from your dream, and look what happened to the baker. So Pharaoh is saying, wait a minute, okay, well, get this guy because his track record looks pretty good. So he takes Joseph out of the prison, and he says, hey, Joseph, okay, here's my dreams. Interpret it. And it had to do with some healthy cows and some skinny cows. And so Joseph says, okay, here it is, Pharaoh. We're going to have seven years of good crops. Unbelievable. We're going to have seven years of great gain. We're going to prosper. Oh, that's good. I like that dream. And then Joseph said, well, here, here's the other side to it. Um, then we're going to have seven years of famine. So Pharaoh says, well, okay, so what do we do? He says, well, here, here's what you do. You need to find someone who can oversee all of this so that the seven years of good grain and, and, and abundance and extra, that they need to store that so that when the seven years of bad famine come, then, or famine arrives, that we'll have enough grain to survive. And Pharaoh is saying, you know what, I looked throughout the whole land. No one could do what you did, so here it is. Joseph, you can have this position. So you, Joseph, you're going to be that person. You're the only one who has this type of not just geniusness or organizational skills, but you're, you're this influential kind of guy. So you can have this position. And I'll give you my signet ring so that you will, as whatever you want, will be just as I'm saying the word. So you will have that power. You will have all power in Egypt. No one else will have your power except me. I'm above you. But Joseph, you can have all the power. So Joseph is now second in command. And this is years later. I believe it's around 17 or 18 years later that Joseph is now second in command. The famine hits, affects every single person. And this is after the seven years of good. And they store it up. Now the famine hits and everyone is affected. Even Joseph's own family. So Jacob tells his children, go to Egypt and go get grain. Well, they come to Egypt, some of his brothers, to get grain. Joseph sees them and recognizes them. But they don't recognize him. Now Joseph is, is you know, he's in turmoil. You can imagine that all that he's been through, here are the people who put him there. So you would think that Joseph would just go outside and like, pound them out or do something to them that, you know, like that revengeful spirit, like, bro, you did this to me, I'm going to lick you. That type of, you know, we understand it in our culture that we, we, we have that type of revenge or, or even in business that so-and-so did this to me, but now I have the position, I have the upper hand, so now I can treat them like this. But Joseph did something completely different. And Joseph led in such a way that it, it, it changed the landscape of what was happening through the entire famine, because Joseph could have gotten away with it. Of all he, he has been through, he could have gotten away with doing whatever he wanted to do to his brothers. But what God was looking for 
was how Joseph was going to lead. That God is more concerned about not the position, but the influence within that position. And that's what Joseph was doing very well. He stayed close to God so much so that even in that high position, he did not use his position to punish. He used his position to prosper and release potential even in the ones that betrayed him. See, Joseph had this, he had this leadership potential hidden deep within. But not until he went through all that he went through was he humbled. And it was through that humbling that he came to this position that now his, underneath his pride and arrogance, could his God-given potential be released, his leadership potential. And once his pride and arrogance was lifted and that he was humbled, now his leadership gift could be used to be more influential with the people that surrounded him. So whatever role you play, wherever you are in life, every single one of us can lead well by putting into practice some principles that we can learn from this story, this event that took place in the life of Joseph. And we're going to look at three. Here's the first one, that we must put our confidence in God. We've got to put our confidence in God. You know, in this President's Day weekend, it reminds us that even our presidents will fail us. Even our presidents will not do the, the so-called best job that we would hope for them to do. And you're going to have, in a, in a country like ours with a democracy, you're going to have opinions here and opinions there. You're going to have different views, which are fine. That's the country we live in. But our confidence is never in our government. Our confidence is always in God. Especially if you're a believer, our confidence is always in the Lord. Lest you put your confidence in man and they fail you or you fail on your own. When I travel, I usually travel with Heidi because she, she's so organized. She helps me with, hey, do you have your license? Do you have your ID, passport? Uh, do you have uh, your ticket? Do you, have, do, do you have your bag? Do you have your hydro flask? You know, she helps me with that. So one time I was traveling by myself. And I'm thinking, okay, I got this. <laughs> you know, I'm a big boy. I can do this. I, 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 can, I got this down. I know, I know what to do. I can, I can check in myself. I got this. So I'm at the gate. And I'm, as I'm approaching the entrance to the gate, I'm looking for my ticket. And usually I have it on my phone, uh, you know, the electronic scanner. But I, I just got the paper one. So I'm looking for my ticket. And I can't find my ticket. And I'm wondering, where is my ticket? How can I not have my ticket? Like, you know when you have high expectations for yourself, you really get down on yourself when you do something like that. So I'm saying to myself, how can you lose this ticket? I don't know. How can you lose this ticket? I don't know. So where is it? So I'm trying to retrace where is my ticket. And I remember I put it down when I put water in my hydro flask. And I left it somewhere. So I'm at the, the counter, and thank God that they were able to help me, so I got on the plane. And then I called Heidi later, and I told her what happened. And I said, see, when you're that good, when you're so good, I forget things. And I'm not blaming her. I'm saying that because she's so good at what she does, I always put my confidence in her. So when I'm by myself, I don't even think about those things. So I was determined that the next time I traveled by myself, I will hang on to the ticket with my bare hands. So I did. And I had my ticket at the gate. Thank you, Jesus. But then I hear over the speaker, Sheldon Loxina, please come to the TSA check-in. Sheldon Loxina, please come into the TSA check-in. I'm thinking, what? I have my ticket right here. What, what is going on? So as I'm walking back, I see someone at a restaurant. Hey, Pastor Sheldon, they're calling your name. I said, yeah, I know. I heard. 
And then, I'm not there yet, so they say, Sheldon Laxina, please return to the TSA check-in. We have your laptop. <laughs> what? My la how do I lose a laptop? Like, how do you, how does that even happen? Well, because you take it out and you put it in the container, so I left my laptop. <laughs> so I was not going to tell Heidi that one <laughs> until today. So, yeah. Well, I told you that one before. Okay, thank you, Jesus. So <laughs> I, I do remember this. I do remember thinking, I rely on Heidi so much that I don't, I don't even learn anything myself. Like, I rely on her as mom, right? Mommy, take care of me. Help me through the check-in. You know, give me snacks, which I still do the snacks, but the check-in I can do by myself. When I'm doing this, I'm not even learning anything because I'm relying on somebody else. And that can happen to us spiritually. That can happen to us when we put our confidence in other people and we forget about God. But when we put our confidence in God, boy, do we learn so much more. And that's what Joseph was doing. He constantly put his confidence in God. In Genesis 39, verses 2 and 23, the Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Verse 23, the warden, when he was in prison, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Yeah, Joseph's confidence was in the Lord. So no matter where Joseph went, he succeeded. In fact, Joseph's reply to Pharaoh, when Pharaoh said, hey, you need to interpret this dream. Joseph remains calm. He's calm. He's not, he's not afraid of Pharaoh. In fact, he says to Pharaoh, because he's so confident in God, he says, you know, Pharaoh, it is not I, but God who will give you a favorable answer. Let's look at Genesis 41. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon where he had shaved and changed his clothes. He came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph replies, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. See, Joseph knew that his confidence was in the Lord. Sometimes I think I, I can come to a place where people say, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? Well, uh, this is what God says, and this is, and it can, almost, it can almost feel like I know what I'm talking about. But what Joseph did is he learned throughout the years that it wasn't his wisdom at all. It wasn't even his dream. It was God's dream for him that was going to come to reality. And the dreams that you and I have in our hearts, you think that it's just for you, just so that you can have this dream, so that you can succeed, so that you can be happy and joyful. And God is saying, no, I have a better plan for you. Your dream is to be an influencer so other people can find me. That's the bigger dream. If your dream is just for yourself, it just stays there. But if your dream is to help other people and, and that you can be an influencer in your community, in your family, and with your loved ones, God says, that's the bigger dream. But your confidence must be in me because I, as God will do often, he'll say, I will help you become the very best. And God never wastes a dream and God never wastes a hurt. But we can. And so when God rises Joseph up to this position, he says, it's not about the position. Joseph, it's not about the pay. It's not about how much people will look to you and, and, and bow before you. That's, that's, in fact, don't even focus on that. Focus on your influence. 
rather than that position, the higher, the better, the more, the bigger paycheck. That's bonus. But if you only focus on that, that's where you'll crash and burn. But if you focus on leading well, I can take you everywhere and you'll influence people for good. And that's what happened with Joseph. He did his very best to lead well. But he also, here's the second thing, he, he led out of God's sovereignty, which is what we can learn, to lead out of God's sovereignty. Because God is God. Is God. We, we've, we are very rarely going to understand all that happens in our life. Joseph couldn't understand that. But it did, he, what he didn't do is now focus on the situation to determine his faith in God. He didn't say, oh, I have this dream. Thank you, God. Oh, my brothers are going to bow down before me. Thank you, God. Oh, you are such a good God because of this dream. I have this dream in my heart. And then his brothers beat him up, betray him, throw him into the cistern. God, why? What, are, what kind of God are you? Now look at my situation. And then the brothers take him out of the cistern. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you. You're such a good God. You're such a good God. Oh, no, no, no. We're not saving you. We're selling you. Oh, God, why now? They're selling me now. And so he didn't do this. His, his emotions wasn't fluctuating with God. He was, he was steadfast with God. He was consistent with God. His leadership was out of God's sovereignty. In other words, he trusted in God so much that no matter what happened in his life, he was always focused on God and being positioned with God than man and being positioned with man. And because of that, Joseph succeeded. He led out of God's sovereignty. Genesis 45, verses 5, 7, and 8 tells us, and now, and Joseph says this to his brothers, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. You know what Joseph is saying is, I don't hold this against you. Because what happened is, because of his brothers and, you know, having the famine, dad has to send his brothers there. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. But Joseph doesn't hold it against them. He says, no, no, no. You don't understand. You may have tried to do this to me, but this is what God was doing. The, the bigger plan was what God was doing. In his sovereignty, this is what was happening. And Joseph was letting them know that this is God's sovereignty. sovereignty. God's sovereign, good providence is keeping us alive. God is saving us. And you may have done these things and now you feel bad about it, but God is doing something else. In fact, the brothers were so afraid because when they came to get grain, Joseph was kind of playing around with them. And, and I don't know if Joseph was going through his ups and downs or whatever it was, but he put the money back in their sackcloth. So when they, or back in their, uh, the grain, the sacks of grain. And so when they got back home, they opened it up and they said, oh my goodness, look, the money is still there. So now they have to return it. And Joseph says, hey, tell me about your family. And they say, well, this is our family and... We have a younger brother. And he says, well, you need to get your younger brother. And they say, well, if we get our younger brother, then what's, what's going what's to happen? I mean, what's going to happen? And Joseph actually told them, you guys are spies, aren't you? And his brothers are like, no, we're, we're not spies. We're just, we're just hungry. We, we, we came from this land and we need, we need grain. 
He says, you need, to get, you need to get your younger brother. So he holds another brother there until they go get their younger brother. They tell their father, Jacob, uh, um, the second in command in, in Egypt says, we need to bring our younger brother. And now Joseph, uh, Jacob is saying, no, don't take the younger one. Benjamin is, that's the only one I got left of the youngest. Joseph is already gone because he doesn't know where Joseph is. He, he thinks Joseph is dead. He says, now you're going to take this guy? You're going to take the youngest one now? You're going to bring my, my gray hair to the grave. But they have no choice. They have to. Well, as they come back, Joseph has a dinner set for them. And Joseph sits them in order from oldest to youngest. And the brothers sit down and they, they kind of recognize that. Hey, wait a minute. Look at that. Hey, that's pretty cool. <laughs> we, like, we sat down from oldest to youngest. They still don't get it. Hey, look at that. Oldest to youngest. Wow, what a coincidence. Well, as they're talking, Joseph, he cannot handle it anymore. And finally, he reveals himself to his brothers. Now imagine the moment he says, hey, guys, don't worry about anything. You're going to be okay. Because I am Joseph, your brother, whom you betrayed and beat up and threw in the cistern. How dare you? Now you guys are all dead. Like he could have said that and it would have made sense. But he said, no, 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 that's not, sorry, I got a little. <laughs> Shouldn't apologize by now. It was too late. I've been like that all morning. He, he says this and his brothers, they don't know what to do. So they kind of conjure up a plan and they say, hey, guys, what, what if we say uh, uh, that before dad died that you're supposed to forgive us? That way he doesn't, he doesn't hurt us or anything like that. So they do. And they say, hey, Joseph, before dad died, he just had one request. His only wish is that you would take care of us and not take revenge. That's, that's, that's all he said. I mean, do whatever you like. But dad said, don't, don't touch us. So that's what, so Joseph was like, first of all, and I'm sure Joseph knew they were lying. He's like, first of all, God, God is good. God is taking care of me. He's taking care of you. We're going to be okay. God sent me ahead of you so that he could save many people alive. See, Joseph, his influence was not just used for good, but he understood the sovereignty of God and and partnered with God in who God was making him to be. Which brings us to our last point, to use your influence for good. Because we're all going to have some type of influence. We choose how we're going to use that influence. Wherever you are in life, whatever age you're at, you're always going to have some type of influence somewhere. If you don't use your influence for good, someone else will use theirs on you for bad. And you're going to find yourself in seasons that you're, you're going to be thinking, how did I end up here? It's because your influence for good has not been used. Use it for good. Everyone has some kind of influence. And when you think of the life of Joseph, he had all the ingredients necessary for revenge, for payback. He had all the ingredients necessary to stay hurt and damaged. He had all the ingredients necessary to seek revenge over his brothers and get away with it. But he refused to use his influence for bad. And he used his influence for good. So whatever role you play, it could be as a parent, a teenager. It could be as an auntie or an uncle, a, a, a grandparent. 
or maybe you're a government official, maybe you're a police officer, or, or maybe a firefighter, whatever role you play. You could be at customer service. You could be, you could be the one cleaning up. Whatever, wherever you are, every single person has some type of influence. Use your influence for good. And when we make mistakes, get back to the sovereignty of God, and, and maybe it's a learning experience, and we can say to God, God, I made this mistake. I didn't use my influence for good, so can I make things right, God, and help me to lead well so that I can be an influence for you. And Joseph continued to stay close to God lest he fail. In fact, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, without God, we must fail. Not we're going to fail. He said, without God, we must fail. In other words, what he's saying is, any success without God is failure in itself. And so it is with us as we lead our families, our communities, wherever we are, even as a school teacher, a coach, whatever role you play, use your influence for good. And here's, if you want to bring everything to culmination, here's, the, here's what's so valuable about this influence. If Joseph does not influence for good and if he does not lead well, people die. If Joseph did not lead well and did not use his position to save many people alive, many in Egypt would have died, as well as those who surrounded Egypt, which was his very own family, which was the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Joseph's one decision to say, God, I'm going to, I'm going to follow your sovereignty and I'm going to follow your lead, allowed the bloodline to continue on to Jesus Christ. That's how important Joseph's role was. Joseph didn't know that. Joseph didn't know it was going to affect the bloodline of Jesus Christ. All he knew was the sovereignty of God and that he's going to lead well. You and I will never know the influence that will take place through our actions for good down the line, whether it be with our family or somebody else. So instead of taking the chance and saying, well, nothing's going to come about this decision, look at it this way. Something good will happen of this decision, and I'm going to stay close to God. I'm going to lead well, trust in God's sovereignty, and I'm going to use my influence for good. When you have that kind of heart and spirit, God has no problem with raising you up to any type of position because it's never about the position. It's where he positions us. Amen. And close your Bibles and put away your notes. We're going to pray. You know, you may feel like you've been beaten, betrayed, broken, bruised. You may feel like you're, you've been imprisoned or you may have been in prison. It's amazing that the, the famine that affected the world at that time was saved because of God and the leadership that God brought. But God doesn't he doesn't stop there because it was the, the geniusness and the organizational skills and the gifts that God gave to Joseph and, go, and Joseph trusted in God that they were able to, to stock up and have supply so when the famine came, people could be fed and therefore they would have life. 2,000 years ago, a man came to this earth being all God and all man and his name was Jesus. People were starving. 
for a spiritual awakening. People were starving for a renewed life. People were starving because they were losing hope. Even still today, we lose hope. We starve in our spirit. We lose our dreams. And we end up giving up. And we're starving on the inside. When Jesus shows up, he says this, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall never hunger or thirst again. There's something far greater than a food famine. And it is a spiritual famine. And you, you sense it from time to time. You're hungry in your spirit. It, nothing satisfies your soul. It's like there's something inside that says, why isn't it not like this? Why isn't there something more? I, I feel like there's something more. And, and it's like God saying, I, I have the bread of life available to you. His name is Jesus. You come to him, you'll never hunger or thirst again in your soul. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be satisfied in my spirit with God than satisfied with my flesh with food. We still need food, but more importantly, we need his spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? And that's what we're gonna pray this morning. Lord, we're so grateful that you have given us a way out. We hunger and thirst, not just physically, but we hunger and thirst spiritually. And you said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's our prayer today, Lord. We, we want to be the kinds of leaders who hunger and thirst for righteousness and the ones that lead well. Teach us to, to trust in your sovereignty, that we would lead out of your sovereignty, that we would use our influence for good, that we would be men and women who put our confidence in you. And it's not going to be in another person, but it'll be in you. I pray for those who are here today, Lord, maybe they've never said yes to you. Maybe they're putting their confidence in their good works, in their good deeds, and trying to be good and their good behavior. But how good can we be, Lord? You are good. You did the good for us so that even in our bad, we can come alive. You didn't come to make us good. You came to make us alive. And so, Lord, we, we pray right now and ask for your spirit to permeate our hearts. For those who are here today and you're saying, you know, I never said yes to Jesus, we're going to pray right now. And in doing so, as you say this prayer and you repeat after me, you're going to receive Jesus into your heart. In fact, we can all pray this together. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me a future and a hope. Thank you for teaching me to lead well. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you said that prayer for the first time, if that's you, and with everybody's head bowed and uh, everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time, could you just lift the hand and you're saying, I just received Jesus and I'm so thankful. Yeah, God sees your hand. Yeah, anybody else? You said yes to Jesus today. Okay, you, God sees you right there. God bless you. Yeah, it's the greatest decision you will make. God sees you back there. Okay. Yeah, God sees you too. You can put your hands down. 
Lord, I pray for these that said yes to you. I pray that you would continue to awaken their spirits, continue to give them their dreams, Lord, the dreams that you see for them, and that you would unleash their God-given potential because greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We thank you. We praise your name as our Heavenly Father, and we all said together, amen. Can we just welcome these that said yes to Jesus into the kingdom of God?